Parshas Bo. Well, the Jews, we uh, finally start. The Jews are being let out of Egypt this year, and uh, we're, uh, we're starting as a people. So Parshas Bo uh, is a famous, uh, if you know how uh, the Hebrew language works, every letter has a corresponding number. So this week's Parsha is Bo. The Bo is a base, that's two. And the, the, the O, the Aleph, is one. Because there's three plagues in this week's Parsha. The last three, grasshoppers, darkness, and the plague of the firstborn. So, I mean, really the whole, most, a lot of the text of the, of the satyrs is in, in, in this week's Parsha. So it's very f- familiar to us. But there's also a lot of very uh, central um, uh, philosophical themes in, in the world and specifically in Judaism, which are important to, to make, make mention of um, as we go through this very foundational, it's the foundation of our, of our people. So one thing which is famous and very hard to understand and much ink has been spilled and much has been talked about is the fact that at this point, Paro does not have free will. It's clear in the verses, Paro keeps wanting to give in and the Torah says, and he even forecasts it. He tells Moshe, I'm going to harden Paro's heart. All the commentators almost in unison all say that at this point he um, uh, left to natural devices would have uh, let the Jewish people go. So everybody, so there's two things to focus on here and, and I'm going to really focus on one of them because I don't want to get stuck on the other one. It will t- not, that, not that we'll get stuck on it, but it takes a long time. So one half of that is the, this is the only time in history this ever happened. The only time, which means that the rest of us, we all have 100% free will. 100%. That's one thing which I want to focus on. And the other point is that what does that mean? If, in fact, uh, human beings, part of our very makeup, part of our existence, is having free will, then how could it possibly have been um, that uh, that uh, he got his free will taken away? So those are the two points to stop. So Rabbi Dessler made very, very famous the idea called the point of free will. Anyone who's ever heard me talk or hangs around me for any significant amount of time, you haven't mentioned this, because the point of free will is really what life's all about. I mean, if you're going to put life and certainly a jewish life into into a crucible it's going to be about the point of free will what's the point of free will what point of free will says that it's the point of relative free will because really we all can do anything we want someone could jump off a building someone could stick their hand in a fire i could do it right when we talk about free will we really talk about like real, like real time free will. An example I always like to give with myself is thank God. And I'm hoping for everyone who's listening now or listening on the podcast. Um, uh, this is true that you don't struggle with killing people. 
You don't wake up in the morning and say, huh, I really want to kill someone today. So Rabbi Dessel would say that is to the one extreme of your, of your free will. You, that's not something that you're willing. It's not, it's not a will versus not, I don't want to do it. I do want to do it. It's not part of your choice um, parameters. Then, so that's something you never do. On the negative side, we also have things on the right side that uh, things that we for sure are going to do. So all of us, I think, we're never, we don't really think about killing people. So that's not really something we struggle with. On the other hand, we have things we're for sure going to do. We're for sure going to walk outside with clothes on. We're for sure going to uh, take a shower at least once every two weeks, right? We're, and so what everyone does, so explains Rabbi Dessler, is that if we all, we can sit there for a list and keep writing the things on each side, the things we're for sure going to do and the things we're for sure not going to do. And for most of us, there's very few things that we actually make real-time choices about. And practically speaking, we say your average person can only handle a few choices at a time. And that's why when someone wants to grow, you usually take maybe one to three things and just focus on those. So for example, I would imagine most of us, to some degree, what do we struggle with? We make choices about how patient we're going to be, right? How uh, tolerant we're going to be, right? So that, so, so that's when we, when we talk about the point of free will, that is what life's all about, right? Because if we give ourselves too big of a pat on the back for not murdering someone, that's that, that's not being in touch with reality. And for someone like myself, I've been keeping Shabbos for, uh, for just my birthday this week. So those of you on Facebook know how old I am. But uh, my whole life, I've been keeping Shabbos my whole life. So for me, my soul doesn't grow that much. It grows, but it, we all our souls grow where there's friction, right? And we always have to have one to three things that we're working on, not more. And I, I, the way my uh, one of my teachers one time said it, he said he was giving a lecture to a bunch of alumni. It was, it was, it was actually uh, Rabbi Lipson. And it would, in, the, in the crowd of alumni, you had esteemed rabbis, and you had people who weren't as esteemed rabbis, and everything in the middle. And he was trying to figure out what's the message he could give to all this, this diverse crowd. And he said, you know what? All of you students, wherever you're at, strain your brain. <laughs> if straining your brain for one person means reading Aleph base, that's what that is. If for you, straining your brain is, you know, uh, dealing in the deep commentaries in the Talmud, that's for you. So it's the same thing when it comes to your growth, right? For most of us, if someone's really mean to us, to not let it all bother us, I don't know if that's within our free will so much. For, for to, to be, um, you know, to be really, really angry and kill someone, I like to think for most of us, that's not where we're at. Most of us are somewhere in the middle between letting things go and murdering people. So that's what Paro lost. Now, why did Paro lose his free will? A lot of commentary, a lot of discussion. 
How could God possibly do that? And one of the explanations is, is that the main reason we're alive is the opportunity to make choices. That is the reason we're alive. And when we make choices, we grow as a person. One person in history, and his name was Paro, his soul was so, quote-unquote, useless, he, he chose to lose the privilege of free will. He turned himself into an animal, meaning an animal doesn't make, doesn't make moral choices. It makes choices. There's no such thing as an evil shark. Even if a shark kills 50 people, it's not evil. It's a dangerous shark. And there's no such thing as a nice fish, even if it's a nice fish, because it's not nice. That's just what it is. So Paro lost the privilege of free will. And our job, obviously, our take home is to use our free will. We, we can make choices and we're responsible and the and we're responsible for our choices. And that's why this is the crux of Judaism. If a person does not believe that they have 100% free will and that we all have the same exact amount of free will. Exact. We have different life circumstances. That's true. But we all have the same ability to choose between right and wrong. And um, that's something we learned from Paro. Okay, some really beautiful ideas, meaning we know all the great ideas we learn in the Seder, and really all those are here as well. So let's focus on, on the following thing. It's a fascinating Midrash. The Midrash says, so the Jews, Moshe tells them, we're going to leave. When are we going to leave? We're going to leave in a few days. Get the Paschal lamb, tie it to your bed. Kills them the whole runaround. We're going to leave in the middle of the night. What happens? Most of the Jews say, Moshe, um, you know, we're not ready. We're not ready. <laughs> right? We're not ready. We're not ready. And um, and Moshe's like, I don't get it. So he talks to Hashem. He's like, I thought we went through this already. We did nine plagues. We're about to have the tenth plague. What's going on? So this, you can't make this up. This is how you know the Torah is from Hashem, because no religion would have would have written this. Medrash says that Moshe started cooking lamb. And he asked his mother, How do I make the best lamb ever? And you know what happened? He made it so good that it, the, the smell wafted throughout the whole Jewish neighborhood. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness, let's get some good lamb. And that is actually how Moshe got all the Jewish people to do the Paschal lamb. Now, the Paschal lamb was their key to getting out, one of their keys to getting out, right? They had to slaughter it, right, to paint the, paint the, paint the blood on um on on their on their door and um and uh it's um it, it, it's incredible now what's the big deal we wanted some some meat and now we get to go out of egypt seems a little crazy there's a concept of judaism called doing things lishma 
doing things for the right reasons. So I heard a fascinating story, which brings it out, this point out. So there were two, um, two Jews who went to a big rabbi. His name was Rabbi Kreisworth, phenomenal uh, mind in, um, in Europe. And he um, two, had, two people came to him for a court case. And they were having an argument about a certain percentage with an investment. And one plaintiff said, well, I feel that it's one five thousandth of a percentage point off. Seems like a little nitpicky. The other person said, no, 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 no. It's one six thousandth off. And these statisticians out there, this is seeming to be negligible, right? Seems pretty negligible, you know. But what you don't know is that when they were discussing $100 million. Do your math. On $100 million, one five thousandth or one six thousandth could be a lot of money. Could be enough money to support me for the whole year. So Rabbi Yaakov Glinsky says, this is the thing. We don't appreciate how amazing mitzvot are. We don't appreciate how you know, working on our personality, being more patient, being kinder, being more generous, keeping Shabbos, keeping kosher, davening, whatever, anything that we do that, that, um, that makes our soul grow, it's, it's so significant. You know why? Because it's infinity, right? Infinity, the smallest thing for infinity is huge. But we tell ourselves, ah, we're not so important. It's not so important. It doesn't matter if I do this. It doesn't matter if I do that detail. But every single thing we do, it matters so much. And that's why Judaism puts such a stress on life. You know, so ah, let the person die. You know what? One fraction of a second of being alive and a person's soul being able to grow, it's infinity. So imagine someone would tell you for every single time you do the slightest thing good, you get a million dollars. You wouldn't say, oh, it's okay, I'll, I'll waste an hour, I'll waste two hours, I'll waste a week. Now, the point is not to get us depressed. That's not the point. That's never my point. My point is to feel good and encourage ourselves to do the, the, about the good things that we do do. And uh, that is one of the lessons that we learn from uh, the Jews leaving Egypt. Okay, let's focus a little bit on the story about when the, the, the stuff that we read by the Seder. So in Ch Perak Yud, chapter 10, verse 9, towards the beginning of the Parsha, Moshe is doing his final barter, one of his final barters with Paro. He says, Paro, look, your country is in shambles. We're leaving. What does he say? Moshe says to Paro, with our youngsters, Benareinu, with our youngsters, Ubizkeinu, um, with our elders, Nelech, we will go. With our sons and with our daughters, we'll go. So what, what does he say? He basically says, Paro, we're all going to go. What's the first thing he says? The first thing he says is our youngsters, and then it says our elders. Throughout the Torah, that's a big no-no. In fact, by the spies, one of the, in, in Deuteronomy, one of the things Moshe 
teaches the Jewish people is that that was what one of the problems with what happened by the story of the spies is that everybody went, it, it was pandemonium. And the youngsters were, were not having respect for the, for the elders. And in numerous places in, in the Torah, we find that having the youngsters go before the elders was always considered very um, disrespectful. So why, here you have Moshe talking. Moshe, who obviously knows what's right, he's talking to Hashem, and he says, the youngsters first. So I saw an answer from a, a rabbi, uh, Rabbi Dov Eliezerov. He says that Moshe was responding to Paro. And he said, Paro knew that what's going to keep the Jewish people going, if he lets the Jewish people go daven, let the adults, let the men go, that's what he's actually, that's what Paro's suggestion was. Yeah, yeah, the, the, if the men want to go in the for a little bit to, to pray, sure. He knew that there was very little that that would impact. That wouldn't really be a big impact. He did not want the kids to go. He knew if the kids go and the kids experience and the kids see their tradition, they see their family's connection to Hashem, Paro knew he was done for. And all of our enemies have always known this. And even our subtle enemies know this. If you get someone, if you can somehow cut off the next generation, then, then, then you cut us off. And that's what Moshe was saying here. It wasn't Chas Vashon, it wasn't God forbid trying to show disrespect, he was making a message to Paro. He said, of course the kids are coming. The kids have to come. And this is something which uh, I think is going a little bit to the wayside. I'll tell you something that happens every Purim. Every Purim. Now Purim, I mean, I hope this year I get to celebrate with some of you. Uh, who knows what will be. If not, well, at least uh, be in spirit. But um, Purim is one is probably my favorite day of the year. And I'm an adult. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm, I mean, I'm even a young professional anymore. Right? My birthday this week. So when I talk to people sometimes, they'll talk about Purim and they'll talk about, oh, for the kids. You know, the kids this, the kids that, the kids this. And I'm like, one second. This is an adult holiday. Just as much. In fact, the real part of the holiday is exclusively adult. <laughs> so, um, um, but in any event, Judaism is for everybody all the time. There's not things that are only for the adults, not things that are only for the kids. We say you're a Jew from the day you're born. Now, something you just can't do. But as soon as you're at the age where you can appreciate anything, it's, it's for you. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too in the middle. In a similar sense, in uh, chapter 12, verse 26, here already the Jews are already just about on the way out. And what happens? Um, so, says, Hashem's talking here, and he says, it shall be that when your children say to you, what is this service to you? We say in the in Haggadah, Ma, the, the, um, the uh, the Russia, the evil child, whatever that means, says, um, the, it will be that they'll say to you, uh, what is this service to you? 
So Rashi over here says that at that point, when God said this, that your children will, will ask, what is this service to you? Rashi says the Jewish people bow down and they thank God. Now we know this verse is the verse in the Seder that talks about the wicked son. Why does Rashi say that on this verse, the Jews heard it best and they started bow down and they thank God? As Rashi says, Rashi says, um, it says, because they're going to have children. Now, I don't want to know the famous Midrash. How many children? Did the, the Jews had a lot of problems in Egypt. One problem they did not have was fertility problems. They, they had, they had, I don't want to call it a problem, but they had the opposite, right? They had sex tuplets many times over. People had 40 kids, 50 kids. It was, it was wild, right? So why, what, what is it? The Jews are on the way out of Egypt. And Rashi says, the Jewish people thanked God that they're going to have kids. That's what Rashi says. Ubisurat, the, the um, information, Habanim, she'll have. So Rabshach, Rabshach was uh, probably the world leader, passed away, I'm thinking, must have been uh, 20 years ago. I'm not sure. I, I, I remember, so it can't be that long, though. Um, so Rabshach says an amazing thing. He says, they weren't thanking God for the ability to have, because of course, don't take kids for granted. But he was thanking God. They were thanking God for the fact that the wicked son's going to be asking questions, that he's going to care enough to ask, and that he's going to have a relationship with his parents to ask. That is a beautiful thing, right? Sometimes things, you know, they don't go the way you want them to go. Uh, in, with friends, with family, with parents, with children, relatives, spouses, siblings, work. But if there's a relationship still, there's some sort of dialogue, then think that's something to be thankful for. There's no question about it. So that's what we see. You know, okay, the kid's a wicked kid. Whatever that means, wicked. I don't like the word wicked. But the word Russia. The kid's not exactly, you know, excelling in all areas. But the, we're thanking Hashem for the fact that they, we have that that connection, and we all know that the connection is connection's key. Okay, moving along here. It's getting late. Uh, let's uh, see what else we could focus on tonight. Okay, I like this one. Let's talk more about this chacham. Now, famous. I'm sure everyone must have heard this question before. If you look at the verse about the, the, the this son who we say is not I whatever, not exactly doing that great. What does he say? He or she says, what is this service to you? Now, if you look in the verse earlier, a little later, actually, which talks about the wise son, the Chacham, what does he say? It's actually almost identical. What's the verse say in verse 14? It says, it shall be when your son will ask you at some future time, what is this? What is this? Is what the wise son asks. What is the not as wise son asks. The not as wise son asks, what is this service to you? What is this service to you? What is this? Very similar questions. So 
in the Haggadah, they focus on one answer, but I'm going to focus on a different answer. Where did I see this answer? The, uh, the Shem HaTov. Shem HaTov says this. The difference he focuses on, what, what does the verse start out saying? It says, your son will ask you at a future date. It will be when your son will ask you at some future time. The wicked son says, your son will just ask you. Ever have someone says, someone says something not nice, and they say, I was just saying, I was just curious. I'm just asking. What's wrong with asking? Well, you see from here, says the Shamanatov, the difference between the wise son and the not as wise son is timing. The timing of the question. There's nothing wrong. Judaism is completely, we're a completely open book, right? The song from when I, when I was a kid, hit me with your best shot, right? Love that song. Hit me with your best shot is totally, I actually have one of my programs on my birthright trips, hit me with your best shot. We have no problem. Ask any question. But not every question is right because depending when and how you ask your question I'm not focusing on the how right now. We're focusing on the timing. It shows what you're asking. When the when God came to the Jewish people and wanted them to accept the Torah, you know what they did? They didn't ask questions. You know what Jewish people have been doing ever since? Asking questions, right? They gained 20 questions. It's Jewish 20 questions, right? We We've been asking questions literally ever since we got the Torah. There was one time in world history when the Jewish people didn't ask any questions. And that was it. Because Moshe in Egypt, they grilled him tons of times. The only time was when it really, really counted. They didn't ask questions. Because sometimes when you ask questions, it's not because you're curious. It's not because you want to understand. It's the, a lot of the times when we ask questions, it's an excuse. So you never, I'm sure I have this with my kids. My kids are wonderful, but they're kids. So at a certain age, you can't really, it's who they are. And I'm sure I do this too. You ask a kid to do something. What do they say? What? You ask them again. They're like, what are you saying? Right? And you know, they heard you the first five times, right? But they're asking because they don't want to do it. Right? Or someone says, why? Right? So so the difference between the wise son and not wise son is the wise son, he's got to do something. So he does it. The next day, the verse says, it will be at a future time when it makes sense. We'll deal with every question you have, but sometimes you just have to do it. And, and, uh, I could tell you, I'm a person who fields a lot of questions. And especially, you know, unfortunately, I'm not doing it now, but on my birthright trips, you know, I have hours and hours and hours with people. I get a lot of, that's why I'm, I'm on the trips to answer questions. I'm not there to give classes. I'm not supposed to give classes on the trips. I'm there. If someone has a question, I can respond. That's my job. If I start giving classes, they kick me off the trip. So, but the questions are, I is you have to listen. Is a person asking a question to know, or someone asking a question as an excuse? And we all we all do this. Uh, we have to ask ourselves 
um, sometimes uh, why, why are we asking questions? There's a story. Um, nah, I don't have time for the story. I'll tell you another story later. Don't worry. Um, okay. The first mitzvah the Jewish people get, everyone, you can guess, it's not the Paschal Lamb. Not Shabbos. The first mitzvah the Jewish people get as a people is the new moon. The fact that every month you ever go outside at a synagogue, beginning of the month on a Saturday night, you'll see the Jews outside and they're not praying to the moon. Can't pray to the moon. What we do is every month we sanctify the month. We decide as a people, the court does it now, it's kind of on the calendar. But that, that was the first mitzvah we get. The first mitzvah we get is that we sanctify time. Yeah. And there's a, it's a whole beautiful discussion about what, what that means. Lots of great ideas, empowering ideas. But the basic idea is that we, God gave us um, the ability to be partners in, 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 cre in creation. And we sanctify time. Of all 613 mitzvahs, so many big ones, why in the world is this seemingly technical mitzvah the first one we get? So much so, we have to get it before we even leave Egypt. So much so, when the Syrian Greeks were outlawing Judaism, one of the big three that they outlawed was the sanctification of the new month. It's weird. At circumcision, you understand. Shabbos, you understand. What is so important and crucial about this mitzvah of sanctifying the, 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 the month? So, I forgot who says it, but I think it's well known. Because our most important commodity is our time. We are sanctifying our time. Our time is worth more than anything, right? Because we said before, time you can make choices with, right? You can, time is, is the scarcest commodity. You can't buy it. You can't invest in it. You can't. It is what it is. And that is the number one message that Hashem is giving to the Jewish people when you start. He said, you know what? Your, your time is so precious, which means that you're precious, if, if I have the scarcest commodity, that means I'm really, really, really important because what I do really, 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 really matters. And that, if you actually allow yourself to think about that and not distract yourself, should make you feel like a million dollars. I don't always do it. I feel like a million dollars all the time. But when I do feel like a million dollars from time to time, that is when I do that properly. Okay. 803. Okay, we'll, let me do another idea or two, and then we'll do a quick review. So in chapter 12, verse 28, again, this is the Jewish people are starting. So there's a lot of bedrock ideas, which are good for really any, any, uh, any life value. It says, so um, basically God told Moshe and Aaron to, to, to get the Jews ready to leave. This is the game plan. And at the end of that, of that section, what does it say? Verse 28. The children of Israel went and did as God commanded. Mo, um, Moshe and Aaron did it also. 
That's loosely translated. Moshe and Aaron told the Jews what to do. Torah says, don't worry, the Jews did it to the T. And that adds, is like a little uh, non-sequitur, would seeming non-sequitur. Moshe and Aaron did it also. Moshe and Aaron heard it from God directly. They told the Jewish people, why in the world would I not think that Moshe and Aaron would do it? Right? Good question. You had a question? Good question. So I could tell you as a as a community rabbi, it's 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 actually someone showed this to me uh, because they thought I would I would appreciate it and I really do. Ramosha Feinstein, great Ramosha Feinstein asked this question. And he says, you know, as a as a leader, now we're all leaders because we all influence at least ourselves. Um, the more people that you influence or the more you influence yourself, you may have had this dilemma. We have, do the ends justify the means, right? Sometimes I could say, you know what? Providence has a shady part of town, people doing all kinds of inappropriate things there. And there's probably a lot of Jews there. You know, they say there's 20,000 Jews in the, in the Providence metropolitan area. I only know a few thousand I want to meet the other 17,000. Where are they? I'm sure if I would go there, I would meet a lot of them. And we, right? So obviously I can't do that because the ends don't justify the means. So that's a little bit of an extreme. But, you know, you can, you know, everyone has their values. We all have our values. And sometimes we'll, quote unquote, sacrifice in our values for something that we perceive will be a greater good. Especially as a leader, I could say, you know what? You know, Shabbos, it's not easy, Shabbos. Why don't I water down Shabbos? It'll be much more presentable to people. Why don't I, you know, kosher, you know, why don't I chill out a little bit on my kosher standards? Why, why, why don't I be a little less careful in the way I do things? But you know what? Hashem says from the very beginning, nice idea. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. People don't respect that. People don't respect that. People respect a person has a value and you stick to it. Doesn't mean you're not tolerant. Doesn't mean you're not understanding. It doesn't mean that you can't be flexible in trying to work with someone and being honest with yourself. But it says that even Moshe and Aaron, this is such a hard test that the Torah has to testify that Moshe and Aaron stuck to the T. And um, it's challenging. It's challenging because it's. I, I had this discussion with another community leader once. You know, I, I, can, I, I can get a little lively, especially on the dance floor. Find my favorite thing to do. And one year, I think of of the different rabbis in town. I think I was probably from on the more lively end. And uh, I was approached to uh, to to run a, a particular style event. And I said, Rabbi. If you put your energies into this event, you, you, you're going to have hundreds of people, and, and Judaism is just going to be so popular, and, and all the misconceptions and all about Judaism will be gone. Just run this event, and 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 you're, it'll be great. And thank God I didn't have, I didn't even, I said I, I can't do that. I said that's a cop out. I said a much harder thing to do. And this is what I strive to do. This is what everyone should try, I think, should try to do, is instead of changing 
what the right thing is, work harder and be more creative to make it work, right? Because that's actually, it's easy to change things. It's easy to say, you know what? Doesn't work, skip it. Doesn't work, change it. That's easy. Anyone could do that. The, 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 what Hashem wants from us, and every, gen every generation does have new challenges. And every generation, we have to be creative and try to understand ourselves, understand our society, and see what's going to work. But our job in 2021, our unique job is to take this ancient book tradition that we have and find a way to make it work. That's hard work, but it, it works. It works. You know why? Because I, I mean, I know many, many people who are doing it. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's a lot, lot, easy, lot, lot. E it's easy just to change it, but it doesn't mean it can't work. It might take a lot of creativity. And in fact, I could tell you uh, that 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 event which I was asked to be involved in, I didn't do it. I did a different one, and you know what? People, it was amazing. People, people just enjoyed it. Okay. There's an interesting mitzvah. And then, I think this is the last idea. Then we'll just do a quick review. Interesting mitzvah. It says by the Paschal Lamb, it says you cannot break the bones of the Paschal sacrifice after you're done with them. Rashi says, why can't you do that? Because it's not princely. It's not aristocratic. And the Jews were coming out of Egypt. They were turning into a nation of princes and princesses and it wouldn't be becoming it, it, it would not be speaking to the way they're, that, that, that they're supposed to be. And I want to quote for you the Sefer HaChinuch says on this mitzvah. Sefer HaChinuch gives a brief snapshot explaining every mitzvah in, 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 the, in, in the Torah. It is not a way of honor for royal princesses and princesses of the land to scrape the bones and break them like dogs. Therefore, at the beginning of our emergence as the treasured choice of all nations, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, it is fitting for us to perform deeds which reflect the great degree of excellence to which we rose at that hour. Through this action we perform, we set this matter in our souls permanently. We reflect the great degree of excellence to which we rose at that hour. If we value the fact that we're princes and we're princesses, we, we just, if we really integrate that, and that means a prince of God, a princess of God, then, then we just wouldn't, it's not, we, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do certain things. And if, and we, if we act differently, then we feel differently. If you feel differently, you think differently, then it goes back. You think, you feel, you do. You, you do, you feel, you think. And, and you just become a different different person. We are the way we act and um, uh, our actions very much play on ourselves. I'm going to tell myself, I usually don't wear a tie. Uh, it's not comfortable. I, uh, I, I had to go to a, I had a, a constituent's funeral today, so I had to, had to get dressed for, for, for the occasion. But I can tell you, it, 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 it sets a certain stage when, when, when you dress a certain way. You don't have to do it all the time. That's, this is just as an example. So quick review. We talked about how Paro lost his free will. And that's because it was a privilege and he lost it. But for us, we have free will 
and we and our and the idea would be to focus on things that we actually struggle with. Don't struggle with more than three, one to three things. That's why why we're we're alive. We're responsible for our choices. We talked about not cutting corners. If something is right, do it. Don't it, the 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 um the ends don't justify the means. We find that Paro was trying to cut off the kids from being exposed. He didn't want the tradition to keep to keep going. We saw that Abshach said that we're happy, even if things aren't great and not rosy, having a connection is uh, is uh, is key. We talked about the difference between a wise and not so wise son or child was when you ask, because when you ask sometimes could indicate whether it's an excuse or an honest to goodness question. Talked about the value of time. That's why we got time as the first mitzvah. Rabbi Yaakov Glinsky explained to us, you know, one five thousandth of a percent and one six thousandth of a percent could be is a big deal if you're dealing with a hundred million dollars. And we are all billionaires in that in that respect. And we saw from the Sefer Achinuch that um, how we are a nation of princes and princesses, and that should make us feel like a million dollars. And if we feel like a million dollars, we will act like a million dollars. So have a good Shabbos, and thank you all for coming on. Thank you. I want you to feel good. Thank you. Good thank you.